Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. I've written a statement. Let's hear it. I took the time, I rehearsed it, and I wrote a statement of apology to you, Mary Jane. I'm so ready. I Yeah, you look ready. <laughs> look this... at me, I just sat up straighter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, go on. Go on. <laughs> so to set the stage for this uh, statement, mm. when we were walking back late night after a really good meal, yes, uh, smoking a little late grade joint, shout out to Sun Grown Late Grade Cannabis, love it, they give so back, good. they plant trees, there's nothing I like more than eating a huge satisfying meal mm-hmm. and then doing a night walk with a late grade joint. I love the smoke and stroll. Smoke and stroll, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so we're on a smoke and stroll and I will read this statement now. <laughs> I, Mike Glazer, of sound body and mind, would like to apologize to Mary Jane Gibson for making fun of her wrong underwear incidents. So before I continue, can you share what wrong underwear is? Yes, it's when you wear the wrong underwear and they end up like down around your hips, loose in your pants, and you have to readjust in public. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. We've all had it happen. It happens to me a lot, I think just because of how I'm shaped and obviously the underwear that I choose. Um, I actually was wearing wrong underwear uh, last week and I thought of you. Oh, wow. Well, weird. Why? Because I'm like uncomfortable (laughs) to be around? (laughs) Because you made fun of me when I told you the first time, like maybe kind of early on when we were starting to hang out and I was like, I got the wrong underwear on today. And you were like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) And I shared it with you uh, and you made fun of me. Yeah. So I did. Well, having now walked a mile in your shoes, albeit not in wrong underwear, but in wrong socks that kept sliding off my foot with every step, rolling into a weird hole weird hard ball in the middle of my foot inside of my new balances i now see and feel how difficult it is to wear wrong attire my socks went into the dumpster and my frustration with it but not before learning a valuable lesson about our clothes and the strife they can provide nike socks do not mix with new balance shoes i am sorry i am growing i am learning wow Apology accepted wholeheartedly. Uh, I was with you during this wrong sock experience. I did see them go into the dumpster, and then you actually did walk walk sockless. I did. Back the rest of the way um, in your New Balances, which really, truly shocked me because I know how you prize those shoes, and to be barefoot inside those must have felt a little weird, huh? Hey, you know, karma's a bitch. <laughs> karma's a bitch. Yeah. For real. Yeah. So I now am looking for new socks. Yep. If anyone has any new sock suggestions out there, I'm all ears because I love those new balances, but I cannot wear my socks I currently have with them without them falling off. Well, you're like an athletic socks guy, right? Like you're a short sock. I don't want anything above my ankle. That feels like a ball gag for my foot. Listen, I recently had a long sock epiphany. I also am a short socker. I love the athletic sock. I love the hidden sock. And you know, I used to wear those little like petty covers, you know, that you wear inside like a ballet flat. I used to even just rock those. But then I recently moved into long socks, like super long socks, not knee socks, but like you know, full on high up socks. And uh, 
fucking great. You like it? I love them. What, uh, 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 what's your style these days that you're pulling off a long sock? Because I'm getting back into my like designer sweat game. And yeah. so maybe a long sock is the way to go. A long sock with, yep, a nice pattern on it and um, preferably all natural fibers. Like I'm kind of rocking like the wool and the cotton right now. Really? Moved away from the acrylic short athletic sock because they just are, you know, not great for you anyway. No, high thread count all around, yes. whether it's on you or you're sleeping on That's it. That's right. Give Get me your a high, high thread. thread count and your pillows and your socks. <laughs> Literally high thread. <laughs> <laughs> well, what up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? Great. Welcome to Weed and Grow, everyone. This is a podcast about comedy. Cannabis. Culture. Cooking. Calling shit out. And being comfortable. Being comfortable. And comfort. Yeah. Yes. And chefing. And chefing, exactly, with our very exciting guest today. Our VIB, our very important bud, Chef Roy Choi. Thank you for joining us. Ah, the greatest. Well, before we get into that, and after my apology, there's a couple <laughs> more things we have to hit on. Yes. So do you want to get to the news? I do want to get to the Grubble Gazette. I first want to try these sumo snacks that we have on this table right here. I'm so excited to try. We've got two flavors uh, of these awesome sumo cannabis-infused snacks. I'm going to try the salsa oh, verde. Oh, it's 10 milligrams per bag. Yeah, you need the whole bag. So you can eat a whole bag of salsa verde chips mm-hmm. and you, feel great. You sumo is five of them <laughs> if you, you wanted to. Yeah, you could eat five bags. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would do that. Those are absolutely delicious. Sorry really? for crunching in everyone's ear. Hold on. I'll pull away from the mic while I crunch. Mm. Mm-hmm. A perfect powdering. Yep. You know how like... Uh, uh, a, a good Dor- like the best Dorito is the extreme cheese because it's like double dusted. Right. This is a really nice powdering. Yeah. It's it's covered in every single crevice of a mini tortilla round. Yeah, I feel like they did their R and D and they knew exactly the the powder to chip ratio. Yeah. They, I also have zesty ranch here. You want to oh, these? what are you holding out on a ranch for Sorry. me? You need to write me a statement. <laughs> oh, that's Apologizing right. for ranch hoarding. You're a ranch rat. I'm a blue <laughs> cheese baby. <laughs> these are good. Sumo is T S U M O. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can find them on IG at Sumo Snacks. Um, they're super fun. They're relatively new. They launched in California last summer, I think. And they're you can find them all over the place, and they're absolutely delicious. This is really good. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I'm going to have one more before the news. I keep crunching. <laughs> okay. Mm. Wow. So tasty, right? So good. Uh, what are the other flavors you have here that I I'm have open? I have fiery hot cheese crunchers, and I've got classic cheese puffs. And then we've got the salsa verde and the ranch. Uh, I cannot wait till the Super Bowl. Also, you can't really taste the weed in here. So I could like eat a whole bag for lunch Mm -hmm. and be good to go. Yep. That's awesome. Perfect at work snack, actually. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you can put it in like um, like your your husband's lunch every day. What do you mean put it in your husband's lunch? I don't know. I had flashbacks. I'm like out here making lunch for husbands all of a sudden. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Welcome to 1958. (laughs) You know, with your apron on and the TV playing. I've got a load of laundry in. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I know we won't edit it out, but I am having strong edit vibes right now. Yeah. Mary Jane really gives off the vibe that she makes husband's lunch. That's that's really what how people see me. I'm very domestic. Yeah. I'm like a chaotic nightmare. I've never made anyone lunch. Well, that's not true, but I'm but, not making anyone lunch and putting it in a, in a box and sending it off to work with them. Tapping it, putting a nice note on it. Oh, that is so nice that when people do that. Shout well, out to all the people who do do that. Let me pull up the news all right. so I can change the subject because I'm embarrassed. <laughs> so um, this week, our news, the Grubble Gazette, is coming to you from MarijuanaMoment.net. And it is a study. Mm-hmm. Young people who use marijuana have better orgasms and sexual functions, study says. Oh, 
My. A study mm-hmm. says this. How did they study this, I wonder? Did they just get a bunch of people high and then watch them bone? Or I think, well, like, I've been being followed around by a scientist now for, like, the past three weeks, and I have no idea why. They just keep pushing their glasses up on their nose and clearing their throat. Yeah, they're like, what are you going to be doing alone in your bed at 3 a.m.? Can I stay here? I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> wow, okay. Let's, let's hear more about so, this study. Uh, the study is actually coming out of Spain. Oh, they definitely are just following them around. Absolutely. The Spanish are so very sexy. Right? Yeah. All they do is eat, smoke, weed, and have sex. Truly. Truly. Yeah. I want to go live there. Should we go live in Barcelona? Yeah. I'd love to go live in Barcelona, especially if this is the study. Like, that's enough of, um, like, Travelocity being like, get on a gondola and see the world. Mm -hmm. Like, no. (laughs) Have great orgasms with hot people while eating meat and cheese. Yes. Sold. This is it. Enough of that. That's the way to world peace. (laughs) (laughs) So this is coming out of the University of Almeria. And there have been a lot of studies that say that sex um, is enhanced by cannabis and alcohol use. But this one is specific because they wanted to do a study that assessed 185 females and 89 males between the ages of 18 and 30 who were either regular cannabis and alcohol users Mm -hmm. or non-users of cannabis and alcohol. Okay. Nobody's doing Molly. No one's doing Coke. Right. This is just weed and wine. Weed and wine. Okay. And that's it. And And they've got a control group that is not totally sober. Exactly. Okay. And so what they found was... Um, bordering into dependency, which they kind of put an asterisk to all of these, to, to this study where it's like... Like you need the substance in order for this to actually be able to take place? Exactly. Okay. And what they have found was that the improvements that with the people who consumed cannabis mm-hmm. and drank alcohol, yes, they associated that with better sex because it reduced anxiety and shame which facilitates sexual relationships. And they found in non-users, they were still having sex, but the orgasms were not as strong. The arousal was not as arousing. (laughs) And uh, weed and booze get you in the mood. Ah. Also, cannabis is a vasodilator. Like, it gives more blood flow to um, all parts of your body, and so it can actually help your erogenous zooms and your genitalia, you know, experience a blood flow, which then also will increase arousal. Is that right? Uh-huh. Oh, do you mean like a lube or something like that? Like a uh, no, like just, a THC lube? Just the act of smoking cannabis, it, it can like open up your blood flow just through consuming it. You don't have to apply it topically. Like, you know, you can smoke a joint and then experience that as well. Oh, that's so awesome. In my experience. That's so awesome. So it's like nature's Viagra a bit? Yeah. A little bit of nature's a... Nature's Xanax and Viagra all in one. Yo, it is truly. this it's, plant. It's an amazing plant. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, so that's essentially the study. But this is the part that makes me most excited about the study. So instead of saying, like, cannabis is going to save the world and alcohol is going to save the world, what they said that this actually shows is that the future of sex education is where things need to start Mm -hmm. so that you're not relying on necessarily cannabis or alcohol or both to have these intense, wonderful orgasms. Instead, we should be focusing on sexual education practices from a young age that reduce shame and anxiety, and it will help people from becoming dependent on drugs in the first place. Interesting. Right? Um, Yeah. What do you think? uh, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like they felt like they needed to throw that in there because, you know, uh, like cannabis is still considered a, a drug, I guess, by a lot of these studies. But 
it feels like a, the more you know reading rainbow kind of conclusion to their study yeah yeah a little bit I mean I do I totally agree that you know sex education is the most important thing in the world and the younger that you can start teaching people about it so that they enter like puberty and adulthood as like fully formed beings with a knowledge of how how it all works and how consent works like that would be amazing I mean what a, what a wonderful world we would have if, if everyone you did got that. sex education I you know I was really lucky when I was a teenager I was just surrounded by a lot of really cool people. My parents were pretty um, open about things. And then also I got a really amazing job the summer I was 16. I worked for the HIV AIDS uh, Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. And I like went on tour to do a show that was talking about sex, sex education and safe sex. And I ended up like putting bananas, on, putting condoms on bananas in, in high schools and stuff to teach kids about how to use a condom. So. I, I got pretty fortunate to have a, a, a relatively early education, but I'm really excited about this next generation that's coming up because like the the release of shame and stigma and guilt around sex, I, I really see happening with the, the Z's. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, ownership over your own body and consent and all that kind of stuff. Like I really, really see it in that conversation and that's fucking exciting because... Whew, get rid of that shame. Exactly. Well, I think my sex talk, I don't remember having a sex talk with my parents. I think I remember it being um, soft core on Showtime or something. Oh, wow. It's like how I learned about it. And I was like, oh, you just keep your underwear on and you, you rub together to some weird pannings, <laughs> cameras and soft music. Is wow. that sex? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but then but then you sort of like also had like a pretty good awakening. I feel like you and I you and I have talked about it. Like Absolutely, a, you know, a good coming of age story. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, but you know, at no point in my experience until I had learned it for myself was I like, oh damn, smoking a spliff makes this ten times more fun. Right. And you know, I didn't. I, I'm glad to hear some freak scientists using their grant money to rub their hands together and let the world know that um, orgasms rule if you get high. Yeah. Uh, sign me up uh, and also <laughs> sign me up next time yeah i will be a study participant uh for any uh substance i would love well you know what sex and mushrooms i had a very strange experience with like i feel like mushrooms are just for running around in the woods for me absolutely you know um yeah i can't connect <laughs> do you know how like if the amount of laughter I have on mushrooms yeah. would not help during it's sex. It's not helpful. I mean, that's the <laughs> like, thing. I was like, this is like the absurdity of everything is so apparent with, um, yeah. for me with the right dose of mushrooms, like everything becomes so absurd and fun and joyful. And yeah, like sex being one of those is, yeah, that's not very sexy. You not just be giggling the whole time. <laughs> at all. Like just because of like, like pulled a whole ratio and how we all fit together as one incredible it like, really is kind of goofy. it's too much yeah. <laughs> it's too much Weed now is great yeah <laughs> for the sexy times valentine's day is coming up maybe instead of getting your bow uh a bouquet of flowers get them some flower know what oh I'm saying? that's real nice flower yeah. and condoms yeah 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 that sounds really good mm-hmm. and some some snacks Ooh, i'm thinking about the super bowl we'll talk about that <laughs> another time do you, i do have a theory though yes after um, pre wrong sock incident, okay, when we were eating that uh, at that restaurant, yeah, and we ate that full sea bream, and it was the first whole fish I've ever had. Yeah, head on, head on, had a face, so good, delicious. Sea bream is delicious fish, mm-hmm. but I also like I asked you because I was like, do you mind if I dig in the head a little bit at the table? Because I didn't want to do that in front of a restaurant full of people and you and I'm doing veterinary surgery on this, you know, cooked fish head. I love digging around, getting the cheek out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my thing is like, 
everyone's like the cheek, the cheek, the cheek. Oh, the cheek of this, the cheek of that. Mm-hmm. I would argue that after tasting the cheek and the tail, mm-hmm. that the tail might be better than the cheek. Wow. I think so because like the I know that the idea behind the cheeks deliciousness is it's always in motion whether mm-hmm. it's chewing or breathing like it is a muscle that is going to town Please. yeah was, well, i was just gonna say you know the scallop like the part of the scallop that we eat when you see the full scallop in its shell it's got a ton of meat around it but the scallop that is served to you on your plate in most places is just the muscle that works the shell is that right yeah i didn't know that mm-hmm. cool so so scallops are all cheek Scallops are, yeah, I mean, what we get served, but the, like the full thing, um, I think they're called coquille Saint-Jacques when they're served, at least in France, I guess that's what they call them. And it's like, you know, it's like a, a full shellfish with like all of the other stuff in there. It's amazing. Whoa, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Damn, now I'm already thinking about Valentine's Day, like getting super high, eating scallop cheeks. Yes. Smoking weed, <laughs> having sex, golly. Wait, what about the fishtail though? So, Sorry to derail. Oh, uh, no, I like learning from you. Um, so I, I, after tasting the cheek mm-hmm. and tasting the tail, like I feel like the tail has like a richer, more, I don't know, not potent. Mm. Like I feel like the cheek is hearty and lovely, but there was something about eating the tail because it, it has that same musculature. It has that same always in motion, whether you're, um, you know, a sea bream or a salmon or no matter who you are in the fish world, I feel like your tail's always popping. Well, it definitely had a higher, I feel like that particular piece of meat had a higher oil content and it was like a little bit of dark, like it was kind of darker meat. It felt like a dark meat. Yeah, yeah it did. Like a chicken. Yeah. It, it oh. was like, sorry, tuna. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying that a uh, fish tail is the chicken thigh of the sea? Yes. <laughs> Yes. Fishtail nice. is the chicken thigh of the sea. You heard it here first. <laughs> Darker, more robust, more mm-hmm. flavorful, a little more oily, a little more fatty, but all around just a better piece than the breast. Hell yes. Yeah. I fucking love it. <laughs> I do too. Wow. Okay. We I got there. Like, this is the first time we ever get letters about fishtails. <laughs> Furthermore, well, you know, I mean, it's so like um, for my friends who fish in Alaska, the collar of the fish is like a really like uh, black cod collars are often smoked. And that's like also like another really funny part of the fish that you don't get when you buy it at, you know, fucking Whole Foods or wherever, where they like only serve the fillets. Yeah. But I feel like there's got to be somewhere in Los Angeles that we can go. Maybe we'll see it in Broken Bread, one of the markets that they profile in there where you can go and you can get the whole fish and we can buy some different fishtails from different types of fish and do a little fishtail experiment. I would love to do some fishtail R&D. That would be really cool. And there has to be those markets and those places, especially um, watching all of the local grocers like Sarah's and Broken Bread and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, I got to get the fuck out of Amazon Whole Foods. Get out. Start supporting more. I need to stop going to Trader Joe's. Mm -hmm. They don't have hamachi collar at Trader Joe's. Yeah. No more clamshell packaging for your one shallot at Whole Foods. Let's go to some fucking like real bins at some real stores and dig through them for cool stuff. 100%. Yes. 100%. That's exciting. Well, before we talk about broken bread can we talk about the food truck yes kogi excuse me kogi for a second it was so awesome i was just working late night and you came over laden with a whole delivery from kogi it was just incredible the heft on that bag we talk about food heft all the time when it's like to go or delivery like that bag better have heft yeah this was a (laughs) two-hander this is two-handed heft right here it was heavy it was it it, the animals went nuts the second you walked in the door it's this the just like the aroma of oh the whole thing so we had uh pull it up short rib tacos Mm mm-hmm 
We had, um, the, I mean, we kind of got, you got one thing from every portion of the menu, right? I did, I did the best I could. Um, so we got short rib tacos. We got spicy pork tacos. We got tofu tacos, chicken tacos. We got the Kogi dog, which yes. we didn't get to talk with Chef Choi about, but like putting a Hebrew national hot dog, which is my heritage being a Jewish kid, um, into this like Korean los angeles mexican fusion and yeah. having like a little piece of my culture in it was not only delicious but it, it just like i don't know it warmed me up a bit like it that felt really cool to have a hebrew national be a part of such delicious food um so thank you and that was really nice to to feel a little pride in my culture as well that's really awesome and yeah. it was fucking delicious and i uh, had to fight you for the last bite i actually I, I ate the last bite when you went to the bathroom yeah you did i did <laughs> notice that i hadn't brought it up statement sorry statement i mary jane gibson do not apologize for eating the last absolutely delicious bite of the Kogi dog that you bought and brought to my house. <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> not sorry. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> uh, we also tried the blackjack quesadilla, which was dynamite. That was one of my favorite things. Agreed. I, yeah. So I, that one is spicy pork married together with melting cheddar and jack cheese in a huge flour tortilla grilled until crisp. Come on. Uh, I mean, yeah, he started with one truck, right? Chef Choi? I believe so. Um, and now he has four trucks. Yeah. And uh, if you live here, you've, maybe you've already had it. And if you don't live here and you visit, like, fuck Pink's or whatever that hot dog place <laughs> is. Like, all the places that LA tells you you should go, don't. Go, right. go to a place like this. Yes, find a Kogi truck. And also, if you're in Vegas, he has a restaurant called Best Friend that yeah. I am so excited about. It just looks like, you know, it's, I haven't been, and I'm so excited the next time I'm in Vegas to go because it's an art installation basically that is the, the sort of like the front of house and you walk through this store, this bodega, yeah, the, a bodega into the restaurant and uh, it just looks amazing. Cannot wait. Are you saying we should go to Vegas? Yes. I'm saying we should go to Vegas. All right. Mike. Let's, go to, let's Vegas. go to Vegas. The Cosmopolitan Hotel keeps sending me <laughs> hitches for three free nights. Let's oh, go. let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. I I'm in. And there's just two scientists following uh, us yeah. around Vegas. <laughs> Where's she going? Where's he going? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, so let's talk broken bread before yeah. we get to our interview with Chef. Yes. Well, uh, we... Are... Oh, we have our Buds of the Week too. Yeah. Sorry, I'm flying. We are lucky enough to have... Um, previewed some episodes of Broken Bread, which is uh, airing now, the second season. And it's an Emmy and James Beard award-winning series that is focusing on the future of the restaurant industry as seen through a social justice lens in six new episodes. And, you know, we watched them and I can't recall having been so thoroughly moved by uh, TV like this recently. And also, like, when we talk about this with Chef, like the hope that it gives you for humanity, for the future of the industry, for the kind and amazing and good people who are doing the great work um, in the industry that don't get uh, shouted out that often and 100%. are highlighted in this series. It was just, it's truly like exceptional television that you will love. It will make you feel good. It will make you hungry. It will make you happy. It will, you will feel things. It's, it's, it's incredible. Community. Yeah. For me, like community, community, community. Yep. I was learning about Dodger Stadium and I had no idea the yep. history of Dodger Stadium. Right. Community. Yep. Yeah. Uh, one sumo snack and uh -huh. then buds of the week let's do it okay because i think like i think we chose our buds of the week this week because of broken bread that's right and like 
kind of how hard it hit us, right? Yeah, we wanted to highlight uh, some friends who were who were working in LA and, and doing the thing. And Michael Walker, who has Comfy Pup, which is his pop-up where he makes amazing Chicago-style hot dogs and a terrific pork, uh, pork schnitzel sandwich, I think. And he's doing collabs with all kinds of places. Um, like he had uh, recently, he just did a pizza collaboration. He's we doing might be like, doing one coming up right around, around 420. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like ice cream collaborations and ice cream cookie sandwiches, all sorts of stuff. Follow him at ComfyPup underscore LA to see what he's up to and find out where he is. And if you're in Los Angeles, like go visit. It's really worth it. His food is terrific. He puts his heart and soul into it. It's him. It's, it's just him. Yeah. And it's like funny and cool and interesting, just like Michael is. Oh, he also just started a 90-second podcast where he's doing soda reviews. Awesome. <laughs> called um, All the Bubbles, Everything But Bubbles. We'll put a note in the show notes. But uh, follow Michael at ComfyPup underscore LA. And my butt of the week this week is uh, another trio who, during the during the pandemic kind of lost everything that was moving forwards. And so they bet on themselves and they came together as three tight-knit friends mm-hmm. and opened up Della Nona Restaurant, D-E-L-A-N-O-N-N-A, Della Nona Restaurant. Follow them at Della Nona underscore L-A. The pizza and wine list is incredible. It's this really fun spot downtown that feels electric. I saw Chuck English from Cool Kids DJ there while this hip-hop artist who, if you know, you know, his name is Buddy. He's super on the come up and he was hanging out there like, it just feels like the hot spot in our city, and it's being brought to us by three friends who are working 100-hour weeks, 100-hour weeks, yeah. you know? And their gluten-free pizza, unbelievable. Yeah. The night that I was there with you celebrating Joel's birthday, there was a magic in the air. I mean, talking about community, there was a magic that was drawn together by the incredible food, the space, the vibe, the music, the people that we were with, and it felt really special. Like, they've, they've hit on something really cool and special yeah right (laughs) we're all special (laughs) we're all special i'm gonna find socks that work (laughs) it's gonna be fine i'm not worried i'm very worried (laughs) long socks the long sock game Uh, maybe so maybe so i'm just gonna start wearing like my dad wears golden toes oh like those black socks with the golden toe business sock maybe Uh that'll make a comeback I don't know, Mary Jane. Let's get to Chef. Our VIV, Chef Roy Choi. An incredible life. An incredible human. A very kind heart. And I hope we get to smoke sometime. Yeah. Because the first time we saw uh, Chef was at Outside Lands. After he did a great cooking demo with Rico Nasty that like put, like the crowd was as big as that as it was for Lizzo. And that was awesome. Yeah, it was really thrilling to see how excited people were to see Chef. And just, you know, like the way his vibe shone from that stage, he radiated energy out to a crowd of, you know, however many, 10,000 people. It was wild. Unreal. And then then we were lucky enough to chat with him to talk about broken bread. And hopefully we can smoke with him sometime. IRL. Do some cooking. And have him back on the pod anytime. Anytime, All the time. All the time. Mm -hmm. New co-host, I'm out. Am I out? I think I, you'd probably turf me. <laughs> you we get into fisticuffs over it. <laughs> Just a new podcast where we fight over who gets to talk to Chef. <laughs> I love it. Every week. Here we go. Shall we? Yes. All right. Well, without further ado, here is our interview with... Chef Roy Choi. What's up, Weed and Grub friends? If you live in a state without legal cannabis, you might think there aren't a lot of options out there. You should check out Quinn. Quinn 
is an alt cannabinoid brand that's getting creative with cannabinoids sourced from hemp. They've created formulas that mimic some of today's most popular cannabis strains. Like what? Well, I'll tell you, Mike, like Blue Dream, GG4, Girl Scout Cookies, they've got Super Sour Diesel, and because it's sourced from hemp, they can ship to all 50 states. What? Yo, that's very nice. All 50 states? Come on. All their products are third-party tested, and they only use the cleanest ingredients to give you a quality high. They've got edibles, vapes, concentrates, and a line of CBD products and we've got a coupon code to get you 25% off your next order use code weed and grub at checkout visit myquin.com that's m-y-q-w-i-n.com myquin.com and use code weed and grub all one word for 25% off at checkout that's m-y-q-w-i-n myquin.com use code weed and grub if you live in one of the 50 states get on board All right, well, while I spark this, Mary Jane, please yes. take it away. Hey! Well, hold on, your name is Mary Jane? Yes, my name is Mary Jane. Oh my God, talk about destiny. Yeah, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Thank you. I'm guys. sure you hear that a lot, but I'm sorry, it just blew it, my mind. It definitely worked out. Uh, and yeah, it worked out. So glad to be talking to you. I actually uh, wrote the cannabis copy for the first season of Broken Bread for the cannabis episode that accompanied the cannabis app on the on the website, and it was a proud oh, that moment. Was perfect, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just watching that episode, and uh, it's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. I, I I thought we, you know, with with who we were, and you know, the resources we had at that time, and just where the world was, and. You know, we were still a show figuring ourselves out. I, you know, I, I'm proud of what we did, but I feel like if I was to tackle cannabis in season three or even in this season, we could have, we could have done so much more. You know, but but I'm happy with that one too. Yeah, yeah. Well, the last time we we saw you, you were actually coming off stage at Outside Lands. Uh, you had just been uh, doing a cooking demo with Rico Nasty, and the energy in that whole crowd was so amazing. And we said, hey, and, and you came off and we said hello quickly and we were like, do you have good weed? And you were like, I have everything I need. Oh, that's why you guys look familiar. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah, I did have everything I need, needed at Outside Lands, yeah. I, after I saw you, I had my own Outside Lands for the rest of the night, yeah. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on Broken Bread season two. Oh, thank you. We've been watching uh, the episodes and it's, it's uh, the, I mean, I don't know, it, it, it's so moving and beautiful and it feels so vital to what's happening right now in the world and uh, all of the, ca the cast of characters are so incredible. So congratulations. Thank you. It, it, you know, and all of that was, it, it, it was a, it was on purpose. You know, it was a, um, it was a goal of ours to, to make the show feel bigger to make it more cinematic, to um, take away any barriers of entry of any or giving anyone any opportunity to pigeonhole it or put it in some corner as indie or public television or this or that. I wanted this show to be able, especially in season two, to exist wherever, mm -hmm. you know, network. 8 p.m. on a Thursday, you know, it didn't matter. Netflix, you know, as their biggest food show, it, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, um, 
I, I had the, we have the right partners, public television, Tastemate, to allow me to, to, to have, you know, like try to go on that journey to, they gave me all the resources to make the show as big as possible, uh, you know, and I think we, I think, I don't think we're completely there, but I think we unlocked a lot of things in season two. Does that mean you want to go bigger and bolder or? I just wanted to continue to mature and, and find, you know, if I could use kind of an analogy of like Anthony Bourdain, if you look at, you know, the arc of his shows, like you start with Cook's Tour to No Reservations to CNN to Parts Unknown, the shows essentially are the same, right? It's the same show, but the show itself got bigger. It got, it developed, it, it matured. And um, I, I kind of see the same thing for Broken Bread in its own way, you know, where season one, it started as a show where we were kind of figuring it out as we were filming it. It was a very regional show. Um, it was very hyper-focused on, on my own neighborhoods and my own reach. And um, I was very familiar with a lot of the people already, you know, so there were a lot of things that were just that were kind of, there were training wheels on it. This, this season, again, was another, was a step into making it bigger. We went international by going to Tijuana. Um, you know, we, uh, uh, we made it more personal. Like if you had gotten to the Chinatown episode, we used different lenses in, in introspection. Um, again, the cinematography, the music, um, yeah, you know, it just, you know, I got more involved in things that I wasn't as much involved in in season one, you know, editing, you know, all these things, you know, it's just, uh, we just dug deeper. We were watching the uh, show last night, the Food is Resistance episode, especially was uh, so moving and, and fascinating when you were talking to uh, Ricardo, who has the business, the Tortilla Kernel of Truth business and and you know the fact that he's taking this like growing the heirloom corn into this like you know tortilla making passing down the the lessons from history it made me think about the small cannabis growers in california as well and a lot of them are losing their way of life the farms in northern california are really struggling under legalization that's a very good through line and analogy um you know because a lot of times we don't want to confront these things but when you hear it directly from those that are trying to do the right thing, you know, that are trying to protect the diversity and do, you know, bring in, I don't mean organic in farming, but just organic in humanity, you know, um, in approaching things, you know, in the right way, whether that's a, making a tortilla or making a masa or growing cannabis or protecting seeds, as you'll see later in the, in, in the seed to table episode, they're all connected, interconnected, you know, because, Basically, the, the, the thing that links them all together is that if they don't continue to hold their ground and do what they do, and Rick said it the best, there's no one else wanting to do this behind me. So if I stop doing this, this stops here. And, the, and if I stop here, and if I stop fighting, if I stop doing it, and there are no younger generations coming in to take over for me, that only leaves room for conglomerates and corporations to come in. And then eventually we'll lose everything, everything, every bud, every seed, every tomato, every tortilla, you know, there will be no strains. It will all be, it will all be monoculture strains. Everything will be controlled by 
some larger force. We'll have no diversity, and we'll have no ability to experience what what it what it could have tasted like, or what it, you know, or the nuances of certain things. Every we'll all have the same high. We'll all have the same flavor. We'll all have the the same texture on everything, and that's that's a scary world, man. Yeah. People think like other shit is scary. That shit is scary, man. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like where everything everything tastes the same. Everything. Mm-hmm. Every single bud that you smoke is exactly the same, you know. Yeah, uh, it's like a tyl- It's like Tylenol. Basically, right. weed will become a Tylenol uh, pill, you know, if we don't have the small farmers and the diversity and the seed banks and the and the small tortilla makers continuing to fight for what's. And the the, the most powerful thing about that is that they're no, they're doing these things against every single odds that are presented to them. They're picking the dark, you know, the long shot on everything. You know, there is nothing other than the true ideological belief that this craft has to be protected and carry on that drives Rick. Because it's not a profit center. It's not a, it's not, it's not a, a thing that people are flocking to to say, hey, you know, it's not Noma for reservations, you know, it's not mm-hmm. like people are like, there's a, a nine month wait list to become a tortillero, you know, it, it, it's like he's saying that if I give this up, then, you know, uh, I watch, I watch The Witcher. He's the, one of the last of The Witchers, you know. Yeah, and the way he was talking about having access to that corn and those genetics as well, and the fact that like growing I, I just think about the the, the weed growers who, who fight for the right to be able to grow their own cannabis under you know as legalization proceeds, and there's just so many parallels with having access to the plants and being able to grow your own food to feed yourself is such a such a such a an empowering thing that I think so many of us are so cut off from. I mean, I've certainly never grown my own food, and yeah, you know, and that leads us that that's all connected with everything we're trying to say in this show. You can you can pull that everything you just said, you can pull that all the way back to what Alice Waters said, you know. Um, because if we're not careful, this whole world we're designed to believe that scale is everything, time is money, growth is everything, you know, like bigger is better. And she's warning us that bigger is not better. Time is not money, you know. We if we continue on this path, there will be no regenerative soil, you know, we will lose all of our nutrients and antibodies, you know, and we will eventually be, be, you know, a species that relies so much on synthetic materials and monoculture to keep us alive because we will have no diversity of bacteria and, 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 uh, I'm talking like I know what the hell I'm talking about. But you know like, what you're talking you know, about. We, yeah, yeah. We, we won't have any of that 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 shit. You know, yeah. that diverse shit within us yeah. to protect us from and, and to 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 connect us. Not only just protect us, but to connect us to how dynamic the world is. You know. Yeah, the sterility of that monoculture. It was so exciting in the episode to watch that night market with you know all of those vendors just you know bringing their and there was like no you know, oversight or agencies coming in, but they ultimately were shut down, you said. And it's such a shame because like that, you know. But, but uh, I wish we had more opportunity to tell even more sides of that story because mm-hmm. it wasn't just because 
it was their fault that trash built up. If you look at the history of Avenue 26, throughout the, throughout the growth of it, they were pleading to city, local government to provide them with sanitation and trash cans, you know, and, and um, cleanup. But no calls were being answered, you know. But they have to continue on because they, they, they just have to live, you know. But they're, they're aware of the situation. They're saying, hey, listen, you know, I don't have all of the resources or, or information or education to understand what it takes or what forms I need to do all this. But I need to let you all know that we're growing beyond capacity and we need help. And no one listened until, until it was time to shut them down. How does that feel as uh, someone who said they were pretty rebellious? I, yeah. I still think that I'm, I'm being rebellious and challenging the system, but in, in, in a new, mature way. This is who I've become as, as an adult. You know? And a lot of the things that I do and the decisions that I make, I always use like a, a, a part of my younger self as the bullshit kind of like, you know, like measuring stick of everything. Like I always, whatever I try to do, I try to think of like, if I, when I was like 18, 19, 17, 20, whatever, like if I saw this version of me, like would, would I be cool with that dude, you know? And um, I think I would, you know, because, you know, maybe I'm not doing it with two middle fingers in the air all the time and telling people to fuck off and, you know, and, and doing all this, but, but I am, I am going to the core of issues that people don't want to talk about and that are not being shared. And that a lot of times when people have this opportunity to have a show of their own, that they don't, that they're, that, that, that they don't leverage everything that they are to make sure that, um, that they put it out there for the people because they have the risk of being canceled or, or the risk of not having a, a season renewed. You know, for me, it's about the moment. It's about, okay, if this opportunity is here now, I'm not going to squander anything because I'm going to use this opportunity to make sure everyone hears the fact that there are kids, thousands and thousands of kids that can't access fruit, vegetables, or nutrients, that, there are, that, that, that we're on the brink of seeds being extinct within 10 to 15 years, you know, that we have neighborhoods that, that are historically black, but that could within five years, if no one, if no one stands up for them, could, could be pushed out and not be black anymore and be gentrified. You know, these are things that really matter and care. And like, um, so I don't know if it's a matter of like, that I'm not breaking rules anymore, or that I'm that I'm following them. I think it's that um, I, I'm using my experience and and you know the things that I've gone through in life and you know um, just where I am and the platforms that I have to be able to to get everyone to understand. You know, yeah. like um, in the last five to ten years, I've really. I've really worked hard on, you know, just become a person that just emanates and represents uh, love and generosity. I'm not perfect, man. You know, there are days where I just want to punch the fuck out of people, you know. Um, but I, I, I've really tried to just 
shift my whole existence into taking the high road, no pun intended. But yeah. Taking the high road, yeah, taking the high road towards everything in business, in art, in life, in food, in anything um, to where um, if I become the laughing stock or I become the stepping stone or whatever it is, I don't care. You know, I've completely separated myself, my purpose from my ego. And I just want to use whatever I have to, to be some sort of reasonable voice in the room mm -hmm. um, that, that, uh, that says like, this stuff is broken, man. This, is, this, can't, this can't continue this way. And instead of blaming you for it, let me show you how we can fix it. You know, I'm a chef. At the end of the day, I'm a chef. And the thing about us as cooks and chefs, we're solution-based people, right? So it's really hard for us sometimes to exist within this normal outside world. Um, because in our world, in our insular world, in the kitchen, everything is solution-based. If you have something that's not working, if the, if the walk-in's down, if the produce is wilted or something's rotten or something doesn't taste right, you don't just admit that it's wrong and just leave it there. You know, everything is about figuring out what made it wrong or how to fix it and moving on and, and you know, kind of the show must go on, you know. And um, I'm just trying to take that approach that, that I am as a chef in the kitchen and move that into the real world. And um, this show is helping me kind of like figure that out. I think one of the things uh, that's so compelling about the show too is that we get to watch you do that on screen. Like just thinking about the cannabis episode and season one, for instance, there was a moment when you were questioning the sort of like the motives of the people who were attending the dinner party because some of them weren't sure that they were really even comfortable with. And you were like, I've got this guy on one shoulder who maybe would have had the two middle fingers up in the air. And then you, you were talking to the other, you know, part of yourself saying, well, maybe I need to open my mind. And it was so cool to watch you sort of work through it. And by the end of the episode, you'd kind of come to a whole new conclusion. I'm glad you picked up on that. And that's a great example because, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been smoking weed for 37, 37 <laughs> years. Wow. Nice. I've been, I've been smoking, yeah, I've been smoking weed. It's a cess, indica, <laughs> tie stick, man, I, a resin, you know, yes. I've been smoking hash. I've been smoking weed since for 37 years. So I've seen, I, I've seen a lot. You know, and the thing about that segment in the episode is there is still trauma and a scar of when people used to point their finger at us as stoners, you know, and and then now, I, you know, I've been fortunate to still stay alive and I'm seeing this world where the people, the same people that were pointing their fingers at us are now stoners, but they've they still picked it apart so that it's not as dirty to them as if they want it to be. And so that's, that was that, what that was all about. Cause the only would have been like, I would have knocked the pipe right out their hand, you know? Right. Right. But now it's like, all right, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe weed is not only what I think it needs to be, you know, because there was that time back then in the nineties and stuff where it was just like, it was precious to us. You know what I mean? Like, it was like punk, you know, it was like punk shows. It's like, it's like posers, the whole era of posers, you know, like, you, you know, you didn't want to be a poser, you know, like, 
like you know you know I you know I was raised on like like OG shit like you represent you know and um and like it's just this whole world now is just so weird because people can become chefs by watching YouTube and call themselves chefs they can they can smoke weed but not be you know labeled as stoners and they you know like it's just like it's just so weird and I had to work through that old version of myself um and I am and the weird thing is I understand it you know because again being more mature it allows me to say like Maybe I, you know, maybe I'm part of the problem too. Just like in the Chinatown episode, maybe I'm part of the problem. Maybe I'm holding back the evolution and development of where we can go, of, of what cannabis can do. If cannabis can become more mainstream, then maybe it can help people to understand each other more. You know, like yeah. so, so much divisiveness now in the world. Like, I, I just think like if people could just smoke a joint and eat tacos together, like we could solve so much shit. You know, truly. Truly, truly, you know, and that's not even a joke. Like we could yeah. seriously just bring down the level of antagonism and, and, and finger pointing and blame and everything. Just like, and just like see each other for the first time, you know? Um, and then we just use that as therapy over and over again and just keep working on it. Um, you know, and that, that's, that episode helped me see that, that kind of the third eye of seeing the future of, maybe there's a world where that can possibly happen. Yeah. The show honestly feels like the way forward. It feels like there is hope for humanity when you watch the people that you're talking to do the work that they're doing, as opposed to so many of the stressed out food shows that are on, you know, other places, other, other places that are, you know, competitive and timed. And, you know, there's like the whole competitive food thing is weird. You know, it's um because food is not ultimately Fundamentally, food is not designed, cooking is not designed to beat someone, you know? Um, and so the whole premise of it is flawed, you know, because it, it, it's not a sport, you know? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a duel. It's not a sport where I, where I beat you and your food becomes worthless and my yeah. food becomes worthy, you know? And and it's just it's just so weird how that's become the fascination of who we are uh as far as loving food um as a as a country and as a society but but yeah we're just yeah we're just trying to make a show that that shows the real side of the industry and the real food and you know um and and does try to bring hope like you said you know like um because the really the real the real like funnel in which we try to give hope is I try to show you how hopeful I am by meeting these, these people that we're showing on screen. Right. And hopefully through the hope that I'm going through viscerally, you can, you can feel it. And, and then you can see everything going on and, um, and that, that, that things aren't hopeless. And that, cause like right now, it does feel sometimes that there is, there is no hope, there is no answer. And, um, you know, and there's plenty of stuff out there to scare us. And there's so much rhetoric and so many, so many headlines and all these, these viral tags that are just really, really messing with our mental stability and our sense and understanding of reality. And there's just so much negativity in the world that I just, 
I just feel like there's a place for for us to see just truly inspiring stories, you know, and inspiring people and not, and heroes and stars and leaders that aren't curated and crafted by an industry, you know, that aren't run through some cycle like K-pop is where you create it through a camp and then or Hollywood and you create the star. You know, like these are true stars and true leaders. They just they just don't have the platform the industry just doesn't invest in that. And so we're just trying, you know, once you see them, you're just going to be inspired no matter what, you know. I, I wanted to ask you about how meeting all of these people has changed you, how it's unlocked your creativity, of course, because we love Chef and, and watching you, you know, on screen in, in that show as well. And, and it just seems like so it, it's unlocked new creative aspects of your personality, not only as a chef, but as an artist. Do you feel like Broken Bread has done the same, that it's changed you as Broken a... Bread, every bit about Broken Bread changes, not only me, but everyone who's involved in the show. Um, you know, like being in the television industry, a lot of this industry, you kind of go from job to job, right? Like it's a little bit of a freelance world out here, but everyone that comes off of Broken Bread, because a lot of jobs in the freelance world, you end up doing sometimes uninspiring shit, you know, like you're going from commercial to commercial or you're doing, you know, like a pharmaceutical commercial or something, you know, you just, you just work it, man. You just holding the camera or holding the mic, you know, sometimes every job is not an investment in, in the, in the depth and character of what you're doing. Sometimes it's just a job, but everyone that works on broken bread just walks away and they just can't stop thinking about it, talking about it, going, back to the places that we cover and, and being a part of it. For me, um, it changes me a lot because, you know, I know a lot of people like look to me for certain things because I've done certain things and I can be like someone that inspires maybe someone out there that's trying to start a food truck or, you know, a television show or open a restaurant or being a minority. In, in an industry that it's already hard to begin with, being someone that's kind of broke through, they can see that there is room for them in there and all those things. For me, I find inspiration in um, the people that we cover on the show um, because they're doing the things that I'm on, that I want to do, but because of where my life has come, I can't be on the ground every day doing it, but they are, you know? They are the ones that are protecting the seas. They are the ones that are, feeding the children. They are the ones that are fighting for organic produce within marginalized neighborhoods. They are the ones that are fighting to protect, you know, uh, tortillas and masa and heirloom corn. You know, and those, those are things for me that inspire me every day. And I just try to be their ally and their megaphone so that I can amplify their voices. And that's my purpose and my relationship to them. But yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just inspired by, by everyone I meet there. And it, it just, Every, the more and more I film the show and the, and the deeper we get, I realize the more and more I do it that I'm not alone, you know, because sometimes when you try to be, you know, when you try to be the, how do, how do I say this without sounding like a fucking piece of shit? Um, when you try to be righteous, you know, when you try to think, have an ethical core and you try to, you try to you know, take the high road, do the, do the slow path, be the turtle, try to do the things that are morally right, try to have some sort of moral compass. 
sometimes you feel alone in this world, you know. Sometimes you feel you're too idealistic. Sometimes you feel you're too naive. Sometimes you feel like, you know, everyone's kind of condescending and laughing at you because you're saying these things like profit doesn't matter. Everyone deserves, you, you know, all boats need to rise. Everyone deserves uh, a livable wage. Everyone deserves access to produce and nutrients. Everyone deserves, you know, a proper education and welfare. And people need to be, you know, the criminal justice system needs to be equalized so that people aren't criminalized where some others are glorified for. And you're saying, you're, you're fighting and saying and you're believing in all these things, but sometimes it feels very lonely, you know, because the world itself is, is telling you that these things don't matter, that only profit matters, scale matters, all these things. So through Broken Bread, what's changed me is I, it just every time I do it, I just feel less and less alone because I meet someone like Alice Waters. I meet someone like Uyen Lee. I meet someone like Kristen Leach. You know, I meet someone like uh, Ricardo, you know, and I just, I just don't feel as alone anymore. Amazing. It's beautiful. One more question. Uh, what's your favorite weed and grub combo? Uh, weed and grub combo? Um, yeah. Bro, like a burrito is pretty stony. Yeah. Right? There's just yeah. like something about a burrito. It's <laughs> <laughs> something really stony about a burrito, right? Like you, when you bite into it, you know, you know, there's a peekaboo element. You, you reveal something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then every bite is a little different. And then you get deeper and deeper and deeper. And then there's the whole challenge of keeping it together. Uh -huh. And yeah, yeah, I think a burrito is probably the most stoniest thing ever. Yeah, the beautiful thing about burritos is I, I'm a burrito cook, right? And the beautiful thing about weed and burritos is that um, every night after 9 p.m., if you go to the Kogi truck or the Kogi Taqueria back in the day and you look at our line, that's when the red eyes come out. <laughs> we were there last That's night. Our whole our whole customer base changes after 9 p.m. Awesome. I love it because because I'm behind this I'm behind the scenes looking at them and I look down the line and I see like every like 85% of the line is all red eyes. And I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you so all much, right, Chef. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Peace. <laughs> Bye. Bye everyone.